Hello and uh, welcome to session 20, question mark, of the Stafford Beer Brain of the Firm Reading Group. Uh, we are continuing our reading of Chapter 13, uh, Environments of Decision System 4. Uh, and we're picking up on the bottom of page 186, uh, right here. So it says, uh, before exploring further the nature of the corporate planning function, which continuously aborts, it seems necessary to enrich the model a little. So far, management has been seen as a regulatory activity necessary to control earnings at a level above some minimum necessary for security. But it has a second regulatory function, to control the match between product attributes Yes, attributes, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that is a word that I, I get uh, people on YouTube uh, 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 criticizing me for my pronunciation on, so tr trying trying to get that right. Uh, <laughs> uh, attributes. So attributes, I believe, is the correct pronunciation, mm -hmm. and attributes is the one that I <laughs> learned as a kid. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Speaking of regulation, um, yes. Uh, attribute is the noun, and attribute is the verb. I believe that is correct. Yes, that is correct. But I always pronounce them the same uh, until YouTube corrected me. <clears throat> Attributes and market demand. Uh, the first kind of regulation is performed in the face of perturbations introduced by the environmental economy, both of the nation and of competition in the money market. The second is performed in the face of market perturbations, which may be due to the aggressive marketing policies of competitors, but which are fundamentally caused by the rate of technological innovation. The management organization of System 4 ought to consist of an institutional embodiment of the two major control loops associated with these two kinds of regulation. Usually, this simply does not exist. In Figure 36 appears the minimally richer model required to explain these points and to draw some major conclusions about the control parameters of capital F of S. This model is derived from work done by my colleague, R.H. Anderton, and it indicates both major kinds of regulatory activity. Note how earnings generate future earnings and how this flow is quote-unquote pumped by the market and its demands. Revenue is shown as generated by the match between existing uh, product attributes, including price, and the demands of the market as conditioned by the economic climate and available technological alternatives for satisfying the same basic needs. Investment funds are seen to be divided between product improvement, A, product innovation, B, and the potential operating efficiency, C. These three factors, which it is open to management to control, represent capabilities of the firm between which investment choices must be made. According to this model, there are only two more control parameters in the entire system worth considering. One is the responsiveness, or inertia, of the market, X, and the second is the power to borrow money, Y, both of which are conditioned by other kinds of managerial action. Uh, so we see this in uh, the next page 
188 is figure 36. Uh, so we can see uh, the model has been adjusted, uh, it's been complicated by these considerations. Um, so essentially, investment capital can go into A, B, and C, um, and the model also takes into account uh, the effect of technological change uh, X1 and economic change X2 on demand. Now, the A, B, A and B plus uh, X, X1 and X2 condition uh, revenue, whereas C conditions cost. And the money market conditions, as you might imagine, the amount of investment capital, because investment capital can draw on internal reserves or borrow from the money market. Um, so this is pretty basic, sort of like capital volume to kind of uh, stuff here. Uh, but yeah, uh, interesting to see it presented in sort of a cybernetic way. Um, all right. <clears throat> so uh, the value of any cybernetic model, however simple, of the firm derives from its dynamic characteristics. The model used in System 4 is no exception. It facilitates the examination of corporate plans on the indefinite time base, which invalidates so many static models of the corporate economy. For there are no crucial dates in the development of the firm, except those specified by convention. It is sad to see the whole process of corporate adaptation geared to the purely conventional annual statement of accounts and the chairman's address. Consider, for example, the marked difference which is bound to exist between the time constants of the three investment channels A, B, and C, product improvement, innovation, and better performance. Secondly, there may well be a sluggish, long-term constant, output response to certain kinds of fast-varying input because of the complexities of the total system which damp down the initial oscillations. There may also be amplifiers in the system which increase the amplitude of dangerous oscillations that ought to be damped. It is this it is the task of System 4 to study all these phenomena through its models, and it ought also to monitor managerial action as being itself a generator of oscillation. For one thing is sure about a system of this sort, it is that the control target of steady response, which entails steady profit-making and steady growth, can be achieved only relatively. The important outcome of regulation is as we learn from our study of homeostasis, to hold critical response variables within physiological limits. Um, okay, so uh, what, what do people have to say about this section? Uh, Jeremy, go ahead. I think it's really interesting how Silicon Valley and just tech in general since 1972 have changed this. Like, in the States, we've had the... Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg and people from Alphabet all testing before Congress, testifying before Congress about just how incredibly shitty their systems are. And you get this divergence between the absolutely massive tech giants who just make 
so much money and they take the money and just offshore it and just have more cash than anyone thought was fathomable 10 years ago. And then you have small startups whose goal is to be bought by these giants. And so, you know, I really don't get the sense that people at Facebook are lying awake at night wanting a better UI. I think what they're really thinking about is how do we make the funnel such that the money is bigger? How do we get more clicks, more ad revenue? Um, so it's really interesting to see like the most powerful tech companies basically trying to turn into these turbocharged funnels of sucking in revenue rather than this process. You know, if they had this process and there was serious concern about improving existing products, creating new ones, tweaking performance, I don't think they would look like a deer in the headlights when people from Congress asked them why things were so fucked up and shitty, you know? It would be on their agenda. Yeah, uh, I mean, Beer points out uh, that the important outcome of regulation is, as we learned in our study of homeostasis, to hold critical response variables within physiological limits. Now, the physiological limits for these giant tech firms are actually extremely lax, uh, which is kind of why I think you see this behavior. Uh, like, as you said, it, it, they, they funnel in so much cash, uh, both from the money market uh, and also from uh, just ad revenue, uh, or in the case of Apple, uh, sales and then rents made from you know, exploiting their brand uh, power, um, that, uh, yeah, the, the, the constraints are really quite lax. Uh, and so maintaining homeostasis is really not very difficult uh, for them. Um, and therefore you get a, a, an organization which has not really been subject to, uh, you know, uh, evolutionary constraints for some time. Uh, uh, Shane, go ahead, uh, then Matt. Yeah, um, I guess one of the things that jumps out for me here is the um, the way that System 4 is going to integrate over m many uh, divergent and overlapping time horizons. But there's, there's going to be all kinds of temporal dynamics in the system that System 4 needs to smooth over and integrate. You have very fast-moving dynamics and very slow dynamics that System 4 has to juggle. Um, yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah again, that's this very reminiscent of Marx's uh, presentation in Capital Volume 2, considering sort of like the temporality of cycles of capital um, and his reproduction schema. You kind of get that in this, in this diagram. Um, okay, Matt, uh, go ahead. I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, how, how this maps on to like, uh, uh, companies where like, it's not even about revenue, like, like whatever tenuous connection to like, you know, an actual business, you know, uh, 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 something like Facebook, uh, actually has, you know, like, you know, versus like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Twitter that really is just, you know, it, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a monopoly play, and uh, but like everything is vanity. Met that means everything is vanity metrics in the short term, and so like uh, I, th I think uh, in, in a way that they might even have kind of more developed uh, system fours than most companies 
because you know it's the you know it's it's the the way uh, uh you know, the, the uh yeah. what, what, why are you looking in uh, uh in that section you know uh, what all of that, that that's where the light is you know <laughs> it's not like you you have reason to believe that you know that so, so you know they're measuring things that are easy for them to measure and then they're measuring their success by these vanity metrics that you know are just easy for them to measure and so they they actually probably can be more sophisticated in system four sense but you know like purely in like the imaginary castle in the sky way you know. Uh, what that the they just invented. Right. They're good at chasing the metrics that are going to make for good presentations. Um, <laughs> uh, because, yeah, like, if you look at where money comes from, very little of it for them is from, you know, or for, for some of these companies, at least, very little of it is from earnings. Uh, most of it is from... <laughs> money market uh <laughs> uh brett go ahead yeah so but even when it is from earnings it's like amazon can just like see like they can say just saying on congress they can just like use their metrics from other sellers to like improve their own content to improve their own product and like i don't even know what that fits into this into this whole thing but it feels like a very system course it's a five thing where they can just like basically steal someone else's product and sell it because they know it's popular yeah, definitely. That would uh, be a component of Amazon's system for is their like ability to uh, monopolize competitor information and steal it when it is uh, advantageous for them uh, so that they can put out a line of like uh, Amazon basics that is based on stolen information. Um, uh, so, yeah, that would be a system for function for sure. Um Okay. Uh, well, let's let's continue uh, reading through this. Uh, I think we can all sort of acknowledge that, you know, Beer says that this is a minimal, uh, sort of a minimal viable model. <laughs> like, this is as simple as you could make it without uh, losing the point. Uh, so certainly, uh, you know, if you want to look at any given firm, uh, especially firms that operate on, uh, you know late capitalist accumulation strategies, uh, it may diverge from what we're, we're seeing here to some degree or be complicated. Um, so 189, uh, now take a look at the way figure 35 is enriched in figure 37 as a result of thinking depicted by thick figure 36. The five control parameters of the system, A, B, C, X, and Y, are now gathered into a box of control settings through which the feedback can operate. Note that every line on the diagram should be drawn as five separate lines, one to each control parameter. The diagram has been simplified because each has its own characteristic time constants. So uh, I don't believe he's saying it's, it's simplified to one line because of the characteristic time constants. He's saying there should be a separate line for each of them because they have their own characteristic time constants. In addition, there is now a feed-forward loop, which activates the kind of model shown in figure 36. The predictions of this model are compared with real-life outcomes to generate the feedback that activates the corporate planning return loop. Uh, so we have uh, here... Um, I goes into uh, parametric control settings, uh, which goes to E, um, which is then 
uh, fed into the feed forward, uh, which is the model uh, that has been developed in the figure 36 and the actual company activity. So you have like company activity is F of S and then the model of F of S or sorry, the model of the organization compares F of S with F prime of S uh, and, and makes adjustments there. Um, the feedback or sorry, the company activity goes into output, but it also feeds back into capital F of S, which is the corporate planning. Um, so that may uh, actually be some of the elements that we were discussing there, which are not included in figure 36, but would be included in system four nonetheless, because system four includes both the feed forward and the feedback, right? Those are the two different components of it. Um, all right. Uh, so all this assumes that two kinds of basic regulatory mechanism have been isolated, as remarked before. And I do not think that this is as arbitrary as it may seem. When we consider the firm as an organism operating in an environment and contemplate the intrinsic nature of business itself, it does seem very clear that both the money market and the product market must be satisfied. There are other interests to satisfy too, no doubt job satisfaction and the monetary requirements of the labor force are critical. But such demands on the system might best be regarded as constraints rather than major homeostatic loops of the total ecosystem, particularly because the firm's response to the first two greatly conditions the climate in which the rest of managerial responsibility will be discharged. Okay, so uh, what do we have to say about this? Um, it seems to me that, uh, you know... Um, it's like, I guess he's saying that, uh, those things would large, like these internal things would largely be handled by system three, um, because they're sort of contingent on the overall interaction of the organism with its environment. Um, but, uh, let's, uh, go to Shane and then Jeremy. Yeah, I kind of read this as like that. Um, these these other things, right? So, uh, job satisfaction and you know compensation for the labor force and stuff are factors, but they're not the prime feedback loop that's conditioning the entire enterprise. Like in capitalist societies and capitalist firms, it's the market, well, both the product market and the money market, that disciplines the entire thing, and then secondarily, the conditions for say labor compensation are set. And this, I mean, I, th I think this bears out, right? That like. Um, you know, like the, the, the market rules everything and, you know, you get sort of labor compensation driven to the ground as like something the firm can live without, basically. Like the firm can't live without the money market and the product market, but it can live without happy workers, you know, or whatever. Like it, it can it can sell out the workforce pretty easily. It, turn, it turns out that that's not a primary thing. It's a secondary thing in, in capitalist firms. Yeah, and I should clarify that... Um the wage relation 
um, is actually an interaction with the external environment. But Mm -hmm. I think it's the case in capitalism that that relationship is largely conditioned in the aggregate uh, by the state of class struggle between the capitalists and workers. Um, And therefore, it has more of the appearance of a constraint or an internal dynamic uh, because it's being conditioned by systems that are outside of the firm, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's yeah, and it, it, it's it's being you know held down by uh, all of the functions of of labor discipline that, that be, happen. The, basically, by the reserve army of labor, <laughs> right? It'll be similar to gravity, right? That like all all organisms on the earth are conditioned by gravity, but they're all conditioned in a kind of ambient way by it. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't say that gravity is really an internal dynamic of the organism because what they all do it, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, again, I, I don't want to uh, suggest that the iron law of wages is true, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, there is there are certainly uh, conditioning factors that are way beyond the firm. Uh, Jeremy, uh, go ahead, and then we'll go to Tom and then to Jake. Whenever I hear Beer talking about constraints when it comes to revenue, I always think of one of the major themes of Platform for Change, which he was writing at the same time. And in Platform for Change... He introduces the Aristotelian concept of eudaimony and says that eudaimony is sort of the highest good where people are living their best lives. And he says that money is terribly, terribly important. But ultimately, the goal of systems is eudaimony, not money. That money ultimately acts as a constraint upon eudaimony. That what you really want to have are systems that encourage humans to live their best lives, but that takes money, and therefore we focus on the money because it is necessary to have enough money to have eudaimony. But we have this sort of shell game in capitalism going on, where because we have really good metrics for money, namely the currency itself. We can focus everything on money, but we don't have good metric- metrics for eudaimony, and therefore we just tend to ignore it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the entire purpose of that system and every system is eudaimony. And uh, well, we fail. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's overall true of what Beer is doing. Uh, but... Um, he did say at the beginning of this section that he was going to present things in a form that would be familiar to corporate managers. And I think that actually in this section, that uh, conceit overrides his basic philosophical assumptions. And here he is taking capitalist assumptions as given. Right. Yeah. Like, because he's, he's, he's basically saying the opposite, right? That, that the thing you need to focus on is money and 
the well-being of the workers is just a constraint, which is, you know, necessary for accumulation, but nothing more than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tom, go ahead. I, um, I was just, I just, I just stepped in. I just was uh, listening uh, to uh, the point about, uh, sorry, just, just come in, uh, to the point about, um, you were making about the, uh, the labor power being external, you know, the, the wage being external. I would have thought that it's both internal and external. You know, like, it's not like your bosses don't try and uh, fight the class war internally as well as externally. I don't know if I'm misinterpreting what you guys were saying. I agree with you, Tom, but maybe the way we could interpret this is that your System 3 or even your divisional managers are going to be doing uh, wage suppression and wage theft um, on their own, and that this is less something that will be involved in the planning process and more something that will be uh, acted on tactically. Now, I think you're in general right, though, that there are cases where the, a labor unrest can become a matter of strategic planning concern for management, right? Like, the, you know, uh, if they need to, uh, say, appeal to the government, right, to, uh, to get the cops to come in and break a strike, or uh, if uh, there, there, there's a, a total industrial action. Right. Wasn't there stuff in the 90s where, like, uh, I remember specifically, I think, hearing, like, Gillette, uh, you know, shave and uh, razors or blades or whatever, that they built overcapacity in many countries so that if one country went on strike, they could meet all their requirements. You know, that yeah. seemed to come from that kind of a, a level. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. It's a really good example of something that would be a corporate planning function uh, and is addressed to labor unrest. So I think that uh, Beer's model is, uh, you know, suffice it to say, philosophically and also technically inadequate regarding labor relations here. Um, uh, Jake H., go ahead. Yeah, it was like kind of as... I was reading this, I was trying to, um, you know, map it onto socialist organization or, or you know, non-capitalist relation-based organization. And just having, like, you know, he talks about these, like, the investment channels and, and things in, like you have just been talking about, of, like, in terms of these sort of capitalist modes of relation as, like, but that is sort of the given. And I'm curious, like, if anyone has any thoughts about how to sort of think of it in a way like is it is it if you were to apply it into like a non into more like an organization generally you know not into creating a specific product like what what becomes the product in that case is there a product like to replace like the different investment channels and stuff or is it i'm just trying to think like what is there an analogous thing or is it like i don't know I, I, my thoughts are a bit scattered but I mean, I I guess this is fundamentally about the relation with the external world. So you're going to want to look at what the uh, activity, uh, the sort of uh, transitive activity 
uh, and the intransitive activity of the organization are, um, and or, and like plan around that. So I think that you need to do quite a bit of work of abstraction to get from here to a socialist model, uh, especially, for example, if you were, as Jeremy was saying, uh, planning for eudaimony, right? Uh, that's going to, you know... Does it make sense to uh, talk about eudaimony in terms of cost versus revenue? Nah, probably not. You're going to need to operate at a higher level of abstraction to make this work for you. Um, so, I, again, I, it seems very similar to the reproduction schema at the end of Volume 2 to me because those have often been looked at as inspiration for planning, like in the USSR. Uh, the 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 uh, planners would refer to, or sorry, the the theorists and planners would refer to uh, volume two and the reproduction schema there to try to figure out some kind of solution. Um, but it's certainly not, uh, it's certainly not the same thing. You know, the, there's a, there's a difference of kind going on here where this is really oriented towards capitalist production. Like, you know, even if you want to look at something like the money market, it's like, yeah, there would be some kind of analog to that in socialism in terms of, like, basically uh, collective resources available for investment. But it's not a money market. It's a different thing, right? Um, okay, so we'll go to Shane and then Matt. Yeah, I think if we're applying this to um, maybe in the, sh the shorter term, applying it to sort of um, socialist organizing, um, I think the, the key thing is to have some kind of metric that represents your relation to the world right? or, or a set of metrics. So if we were going with like a kind of, I don't know, like a Mike McNair kind of strategy of going for the continental majority, you'd be wanting to look very carefully at polling of like general support for your movement and such like that and whatever other metrics you can kind of pull out of the air. Um, the the relation between the sort of x y relation between like the um the the leftover earnings versus the the money market stuff where you'd have to pull that way up to a level of abstraction of like one of the channels into your reinvestment of energy is going to be stuff that is under your control like it's a, it's stuff that passes through you already and then there's stuff that doesn't pass through you already um similarly if we look at a b and c we've got existing products new products and performance and that would I think translate to existing initiatives, new initiatives, and efficiency in both. So, like, if you're already doing a lot of, um, you know, tenant organizing, you might find you're maxing that out. It's like, well, shit, we're going to have to go back to good old-fashioned labor union organizing in parallel, right? Like, so it's it's that kind of thing of like, do you keep making MacBooks or do you make an iPod? Well, you kind of have to do both. You have to entertain the possibility of tuning your relative investment in one or the other. And this gets us over this usual fractional kind of left stuff of like, oh no, it's, it's, uh, you know, like duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, right? It's going to be tenant organizing, factory organizing, tenant organizing. Both, you know, you use a fucking strategy to pick both of them or to pick your ratios of both. Use a big fucking strategy model to integrate over time the, the various fluctuations in these things. Um, so like, I, I think what he's got on the page here is very much and it's a description of uh, capitalist firms. Um, and there's stuff that would be irrelevant for um, 
uh, either for immediate socialist organizing or for the future. But there is, I think that the, the general pattern, if you squint enough, um, more or less works. You just have to, you have to know your metrics. You have to know what your model of the, your relation to the world is. And I would kind of point out again that, like, beer is actually sort of diverging from his framework in presenting this. Mm. Because in previous sections, he has claimed that the VSM is strictly general. And here he's kind of presenting an application of the System 4 principles to firm planning as a sort of proof of concept. Uh, but really, this is not the VSM, right? Because it isn't, it isn't strictly general in that sense. Uh, uh, so, yeah, this is, this is kind of like a, a, a proof of, of concept here. Um, Matt and then Steve. Yeah, like labor satisfaction stuff, you know, versus like in, income from the money market. Yeah, I, I can kind of see how, how it all plays out in terms of like, you know, j j just like like the math of um, uh, optimization and like constraint satisfaction problems where, you know, it's way easier if you're like just trying to maximize one thing and just for every other variable, like, you know, just sort of keep it. You know, like uh, uh, yeah, like 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 within some range versus like uh, any of like a firm. So you know, the firm can do that. Yeah, they 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 can say you know, well, we we just want to you know uh, get more um uh, VC money. You know, like that, that's what we're trying to keep up enough. You know, uh, and you know, workers just have to be happy enough to uh, you know, not you know, uh, not not uh, not 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 be quitting. You know, and or scared enough. Um, uh, but yeah, the, for socialist organizing, like it is. Like, like it's harder to find, um, I guess, uh, a numerator or, or, or whatever. Cause I mean, uh, you know, maybe if we could find like some sort of, uh, you know, like either empirically some sort of KPI that, um, maps on, you know, that has some predictive value for some kind of success of, uh, socialist orgs or, you know, maybe we find something that kind of theoretically makes sense. And I mean, we're trying to, uh, uh, increase class consciousness or, you know, some kind of metric of, uh, of, uh, uh power for, for the working class, you know, see, see how much, uh, um, you know, the working class's preferences gets reflected in policy. But I mean, like until then, you know, like, uh, we don't actually have a way of comparing two unlike things like, uh, uh, yeah, like, like, yeah, you know, you know, that's how businesses work. And the, the uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, Toyota will have its, you know, will, will have its regular line. They're, you know, constantly improving and that funds, you know, risky innovations for like a special projects division. And, you know, like those might come to the bread and butter later down. But yeah, like we don't really have like a way to, uh, get, to, to compare those two things, which is frustrating. And everything is sort of like weird bespoke metrics, if there are metrics at all. Yeah. And I mean, beer is pretty clear in the, the, the system two section that there need to be metrics. Uh, but again, he makes that sort of claim that you know, you can kind of just look at the direction or the tendency of the metrics. I don't know if that really applies to System 4, because that information would be fed into System 4, but System 4 is going to be doing its own research, too. So, um, not super clear on that. Uh, okay, let's go to Rudy, Jake, and then Shane. I guess it is where the whole problem that I've found in beer comes at. The moment you measure something, the system tends to optimize for what is being measured, like obvious case being number of papers published by a researcher, then you will just get salami publishing. Number of citations, and you just have big citation farms. Do it for a party, number of recruits, you just go and recruit students. 
So there's always the problem of what you measure might not be what you want to measure. And there's an implicit assumption here that all these things can be measured. And that, that, I guess that's where I find the largest problem in beer is that Jeremy's saying eudaimony. Well, eudaimony can't be measured. How do you measure if someone is a good person or if someone ha has had a good life? Um, I think, again, that kind of gets back to, like, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, I forget the exact word, but, like, I think Otto Neurath had, like, a turn of phrase for his or a label for his thinking. It was some kind of Epicureanism. Uh, and he was basically looking at like quality of life indicators as a, as a, uh, a measure of eudaimony. Uh, that, that was the approach that he took. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know what you could do other than that, uh, in terms of quantifying eudaimony. Uh, and, you know, like there's certainly been like, uh, recent movements in economics to try to like measure happiness or well-being or these kinds of things instead of GDP. Uh, that seems to be the kind of direction that beer is pointing to here rather than, uh, you know, uh, throwing out quantification because if you can't quantify these feedbacks, these feedback systems aren't very useful, right? Uh, you're just making subjective evaluations of things, and it's kind of just going to work itself out through the dynamics of, uh, like, through social dynamics instead of any kind of organized uh, or design system. Uh, okay, uh, Jake, H, and then Tom. Yeah, I think this... Definitely like what you just said, Rudy, about like, th this is something that I'm having, not, I guess, problem with whatever, like something that keeps coming up with beer is just like how, what are, what are these measurements look like, you know? And, and like for, for different systems, it's kind of become more clear and then less clear as I think about it in different like contexts, you know, like, like, um, in terms of system two measurements, it seems a bit easier because it's just, you, you can kind of just push it off by saying, well, system one, do you just tell me, just tell me a measurement, you know? And that, that, that's kind of like makes a little, makes it a little easier because you don't have to like specify it beforehand. Well, it's system four. It keeps like, I keep thinking like, well, it's directed, you know? And it's so, and it's outside facing, which means there's nothing like has to kind of come up with a whole cloth in a sense. And it, you know, it's like when I think about it on like more like a, uh, like my specific local organization, it becomes a little more murky because it's like, yeah, what is that? Are we thinking like number of people in the tenants union or are we thinking like number of workplaces that are being organized, which is good, but it doesn't really tell you about the quality of those or like the direction that those are headed. You know, you can have a lot of people in an organization, but then the organization, like you can have a lot of tenants who have membership of the tenants union, but then if there's not like new, if they're not actively fighting against the landlord or they're not actively like resisting evictions or something that it's not exactly uh, you're not really getting at what you want to be measuring, which is like the quality of it, the quality, which is kind of this, yeah, as has been said, kind of a little bit ethereal. Uh, but um, again, that's that's something that System 4 wouldn't really look into, right? right because right, it's too yeah. detailed. Right. Uh, yeah. So I don't think those kinds of things would really be considered by System 4 that much. Well, I guess I, I'm thinking of it more in terms of like how you're going to model the future of 
those parts of the organization? You know, like, are you going to try and say, like, well, if we did X, you know, not to reuse variables, but if we did, you know, this this thing differently, would the number of tenants that we have in our organization increase? Or if we did this differently, would would we be able to more effectively prevent evictions? You know, like, which, I, I'm, you know, thinking about it more... I can start to see where, where you could kind of have some numbers that get into it. But again, it's like, does that really hit at the, the core of it? Uh, but then, but then when you, when you kind of abstract it into like the national organization that we're a part of, I've been thinking about this more of just like, you know, cause it's kind of being built right now. And so I'm trying to inject more Berean, uh, cybernetic architecture to it or infrastructure to it. And that, makes it a little like when you don't have to think about what they're actually doing, like what local affiliates are doing, it becomes a little easier to say, well, like if we just increase the number of people or increase the number of like affiliates to this national organization, then it, that's like, uh, probably what we want, you know, but then it's like, yeah, does it get down to the nitty gritty of like what's actually being done? And, and I guess that is, but also, I feel like that is kind of the benefit of beer, right? Because it's like he's saying, don't concern yourself with this when you're thinking about how to optimize the whole organization. Trust that these things are being done within these lower systems, the other systems. And then well, when you're thinking about the total thing, the and it, future of it, it's, you know, you're looking at different things. Sorry. It, it's also why there is an algodonic filter that runs all the way up to right. system five. Right. Because if that problem is happening it should be alerted to system five and it's not exactly the business of system four to address it. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, these are fair points that you're making. Like it is not super easy to imagine how this uh, is, is to be implemented. Um, especially when you consider like, yeah, that concern, like, you know, because these systems kind of have like, overlapping areas of concern just with like different degrees of specificity and action um, it can get quite confusing uh, in a way uh, Tom go ahead Hi, yes. um, I've just been watching uh, the uh, the Vietnam War documentary series by a man I can't remember his name though but um, uh, watching with what's his name um Something like Jake Bruce, I forget. <laughs> but uh, it has it has a lot of stuff on McNamara, you know. And in he was, I think, collecting something like nine hundred variables for all, all the stuff that was happening in Vietnam. Uh, and and I think every month, ninety thousand pages of reports were being generated. Yeah. Um, so, like, just to put it in, in kind of like kind of context, how how crazy it can get. But also, when it came down to it, they were literally were pretty much going on one variable, and that was the kill ratio. How many are we killing versus them? And this gets Rudy's point, whereby that caused them to just like you know do atrocities left, right, and center. Like they can just call anybody a be a cop. So, like, I think that there is like a great art to the choosing of variables. I know it's a real kind of 
it's a kind of a scientific problem. Like when you interact with a system, you you change the system. You know, even at a, like a stupid level, like uh, what do you call it? Um, what's that quantum? What's what's the one? What's that level? My brain's not working tonight. I'm drinking. But um, uh, forgive me. But like you know, um, uh, so like even when you interact with a system like trying to measure it you're going to change it so like I, I'm watching a, 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 a documentary the other day about um, Go where they designed the system the computer AI thing or whatever to beat the Go Grandmaster the Korean guy and I think they had like some kind of weird like kind of a, a meta variable for trying to understand what uh, whether this good position, this this goal was good or not. Like they had some overall kind of like uh, like an, uh, this is a, a, a good value and expect a good ret- expected return or something. And it, it struck me that like <clears throat> getting towards Rudy's point that you, uh, and also what happened in Vietnam is like that. It, say for example, we have. Um, in a say we're a socialist party or something, and there's maybe twenty things we want to optimize for in our party, right? So you're you're in a twenty-dimensional space, right? And and one of them going up could be good, in, in but if another one is going down, that could be bad. So it would seem likely to me that what you might need is kind of meta variables that aren't strictly even understandable. <laughs> on some level they might be too meta for us to understand like it but it, it, it like the fact that this one is going up might mean something uh, really uh, important and then like you can dig into what constituted that meta variable going up it, you know because that that would take away from this chance of just increasing party members as opposed to these other 19 things that matter in our dimensional space that our brains aren't optimized for. Yeah, um, the series is uh, the Vietnam War, Vietnam War by uh, Ken Burns. Uh, Ken Burns did that. Uh, that's a really good section where he talks about McNamara because actually, uh, this is exactly the problem Beer is pointing to with System 4, right? Where he says that the management is using computers to collect reams and reams of data that they cannot interpret. And that's exactly what McNamara was doing. Cause he was like, if I just had more data, I could solve this, but it wasn't his job. You know, that wasn't what he was supposed to be doing. Um, uh, and beer does actually bring that point about affecting the system up uh, he says, uh, it is the task of System 4 to study all these phenomena through its models, and it ought also to monitor managerial action as being itself a generator of oscillation. Uh, so that that's a very important point. Um, and indeed, yeah, like I think the meta variables, we're going to kind of see that when we look at the example of this like proto-cybersyn. Like, what are the managers actually dealing with in this situation? Um, it's quite abstracted. Uh, 
Okay, Shane, go ahead. I think with the, the meta variables thing, and especially in reference to games like Go and Chess, I think that's what they'd call chunking in the, stu- in the study of Go and Chess, where grandmasters of chess, they, they don't actually think about the details of their plays. They sort of chunk patterns of plays into, like, I think what you call meta variables and stack them up. And they're, they're playing literally at a higher level of cognition, where you have these kind of layers of abstraction that cover over the details. So I think that's quite important. So like that, at these levels, you're probably going to be dealing with pretty strange abstractions that are um, uh, kind of compressing a lot of information. Um, but a lot of this conversation kind of reminds me of like, I think there's points elsewhere in beer about like these, this problem of like surrogate metrics or like building surrogate models where we, we sort of think it's like an XY problem. Like I care about X, but I can't really affect it directly. And Y seems to be correlated with X. So I'm going to focus on Y instead or whatever. Um, and I think maybe an analog, analog here with the sort of ten- tenants union stuff or whatever, or uh, political organizing would be that if we're just counting membership, then that's a kind of surrogate for the thing we actually wanted. So with with, with tenant, like at the system four level, because system four is folding in this like information about the external world and it's fold- folding in an internal external model, these metrics have to be about the world. They can't be about you or your, your organization. Like counting the number of members you have is analogous to counting the number of cells in the body. Like who gives a shit? Like it's, wh- why would that ever be relevant? Right? They're, they're just cells. The, the, the thing you want to control for is something else. So with the tenants organizing thing, if you really think about what you want out of that scenario, you probably want to regulate the rate of eviction down to zero or something along those lines, right? There's a, there's a real scenario out there in the world that you want to control in the way that you're interested in. And you need to measure that. And then you probably need to think about membership and stuff as, as secondary or tertiary concerns that are they're only they're only important insofar as they're related to the um, the regulation of this external thing. Because remember, like up through systems one through three, we were concerned with internal regulation, keeping ourselves stable. But at, at the level of system four, we've sort of left some of that behind, and now we're concerned with our regulating our relationship with the world and regulating our intentionality. We intend to change things out there. The organism intends to manipulate the world. It intends to organize the world according to the way that pleases itself. So like the spider will regulate the structure of the world so as to bring about a, a web structure that pleases itself. Um, and this is, it's now we're, now we're into external orientation. We need to be thinking of those variables. Um, because I mean, if we, if we focus on just the membership, so we get the paper member problem, we actually, I mean, even this bit about like, uh, job satisfaction and labor compensation being kind of secondary concerns. We have the same shit in fucking left organizing, like these Leninist cults burning through fucking students, contrary or whatever, and just like, um, just like, you know, like just smashing through their fucking cells or whatever. Um, and then you think about what the actual purpose of that is. Well, you know, you've got a couple of downwardly mobile sort of folks who really like to keep their reading groups going or whatever. And that's the real purpose of that organization, right? Or like, or like, again, the thing I keep bringing up of like trots, having the metric of selling newspapers is just absolutely fucking pointless. It's a surrogate model. It's a thing that comes up in a lot of the Adam Curtis documentaries as well, right? That we make models of the world, but if we make the wrong models and we measure the wrong things, we get into statistical hallucination. Where we start, we start to see meaning in these these just deranged models, um, and these like quasi realities uh, can end up taking over. So yeah, I, I think I'm definitely with Tom right that like there's there's an art to picking the right thing, and there's an art to figuring out what you actually care about, rather than not, and not like tricking yourself into uh, as an organization measuring the things that are available. Because I think maybe Matt mentioned that like the the drunkard 
and the keys problem where, um, I mean, probably for the sake of the listeners, right? The anecdote goes that like a policeman is wandering around and he comes across a person searching under a streetlight. He's like, what, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm looking for my keys. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll help you find them. And he's, they're searching around in this pool of light. And they're like, there's no fucking keys here. And he's like, are you sure you dropped them here? He's like, no, of course not. But this is where the light is. <laughs> you know, he dropped them fucking way back the road. But this is where the light is. This is where the measurable stuff, this is where the stuff that's easy is. And measuring membership is easy. That's the fucking streetlight. But the keys, they're way over there, somewhere off in the dark. We need to be, we need to be training our attention on that stuff out there. Um, and just to discard all fucking notions of this, this stuff that's easy to measure and, and immediate to our experience. Right. And that really does also get back to that kill-death ratio metric, right? It's like... Uh, that was not actually useful mm-hmm. useful metric and it just it led to a lot of war crimes. Kill the ball. Kill the ball. Yeah. Right. Kill, I mean we see some pathology in capitalism, right? That like it's a system that has an available metric, which is, you know, earnings and profitability and such. And it's it's then a, a, a feedback circuit that goes insane on just that one metric. And it's it's the most available thing in the world. It's the most immediately measurable, but it's the most useless thing in the world. Um, when it comes to the quality of human life. There's major, major danger in allowing surrogate metrics to run away with themselves. Absolutely. I mean, we live in a world that's dominated by this kind of psychotic feedback circuit on something that doesn't matter in the slightest. Okay, we're going to go to Matt, and then I want to move on. Um, um, uh, for a good case study for, you know, uh, uh, fi- finding um, an alternative metric, um, uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, um, the um, introduction of uh, um, sabermetrics into baseball, if we saw that movie uh, Moneyball, I think yep. that's a pretty good case study. Yeah, like, yeah the, 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 there, there's like a real thing, you know, win, you know winning games that, you know, like, uh, um, you know that 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 that's your objective, and then you figure out the subjective. You know, like uh, uh, I've read the exact formulation, but it's like uh, um, you know, it, 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 it's some version or another of uh, yeah, like how often you get on base, and then yeah, like once you actually find that, you know, like uh, yeah, you uh, you can get a lot better at, at the thing that you're doing. Um, uh, and so, yeah. I, I, I've got hope. You know, I, I think I think there's stuff we can do. Yeah, uh, and the example there is essentially. Uh, complete empiricism of like, you know, you have these talent scouts who go out and they're like, ah, I like the arm on that one, or, you know, <laughs> good running, you know, just kind of these like rule of thumb evaluations uh, versus an actual metric driven approach, which baseball is very amenable to because it can be easily quantified. Uh, and of course, uh, the, the metric-driven approach was more effective in the end, and and revolutionized baseball. Um, all right, so uh, Anderton, who has experimented with various computer-driven versions of System Four models, has deducted one lesson about these two regulators, which is highly disturbing. There is a very sensitive, that is, high-gain relationship between product match and revenue performance. Now, the means available to management for handling this sensitive area are the three investment control parameters, A, B, and C. Their relative importance and relative effects are model, 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 hardly understood, particularly in terms of the people who are not line managers who will have to uh, who will respond to their manipulation. 
Most talk about the management of change and innovation is about either economic viability or about human relationships as illuminated by behavioral science. Anderton's case is that we have not really seen the interact or the intersection of the two major ecosystemic control loops as occurring exactly in the same domain. Moreover, he says, there is a largely unrecognized coupling between the two loops, which is destabilizing. This is surely a remarkable inference to draw from a simple theoretical model, but it invites profound reflection. To speak personally, it has illuminated much in my experience of actual business problems, which was hitherto obscure. Um, so he's talking about uh, product match, which is to say the match between what the product offers and what the market wants, um, and revenue performance, uh, which is, you know, I assume your net revenue on the product line. Uh, and he's saying we can, we approach like either in terms of market research or in terms of economizing, but we don't actually think of holistically about these two things, and they tend to produce oscillation in the planning mechanism and the organization. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Matt, did you just not have your hand down? Okay, we're going to move on unless someone else has something to say about this case. Okay. Um, all right, so as has been remarked before, there is an infinite number of possible models of the corporation, any one of which would count as a tool of System 4. In Figure 38, an attempt is made to map a considerable extension of the model in Figure 36 onto the corporate structure as we have learned to know it in this book. But please beware, the diagram at Figure 30, 38 is not an alternative to, nor even an elucidation of, Figure 27. Now, 27, I believe, was the uh vsm model yeah it's like yeah. the master diagram the master diagram of the vsm um is explicitly the diagram of a model of system four the reason why it looks like the total figure is that system four must in some sense mirror or map the the totality it serves that is we are dealing with a recursive logic, one which turns in on and duplicates itself. Uh, so we see on figure 38, uh, essentially there is um, a overall section that deals with pretty much like the relationship of overall earnings uh, to investment capital um, and also takes into account things like share price, dividends, capital reserves, the money market. Uh, it measures, it has like a uh, control uh, parameter for measuring like uh, the earnings money market investment capital uh, like loop 
But, you know, these kind of overall access to resources concerns. Um, and then it also has, like, a model for each division of the kinds of uh, A, B, X, Y concerns we talked about uh, in the... Or, sorry, A, B, X, not Y. Y is, is, is an overall thing, but A, B, X for each division uh, in terms of how resources are allocated divisionally. Uh, Shane, go ahead. This last bit feels like the kind of bodily homunculus or like proprioception or something that like the system for a model has to have some sort of abstract model of, of the body itself or at least it's kind of information flows. Um, that mm -hmm. it'll, and and as, as Beer notes, this isn't the body. Yeah. It's not the same thing. It's it's the it's the the mind's perception of its own body, or it's um, yeah. I just that, that was that was quite fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a model of the bodily control system, which is not identical to the bodily control system because it is directed towards uh, the concerns of System Four over those of any other system. It's, it's sort a virtual of, body. Yeah, it's a virtual body as seen by System 4. Um, okay, uh, so let's carry on then. Uh, notes on the development of the developmental directorate. Sorry, notes on the operation of the development directorate. The development directorate will consist of people and may indeed involve the activities of a large staff. For, in managerial terms, the development director himself must exercise control of all those functions needed to acquire information. Therefore, for instance, marketing research. To evaluate information and propose solutions to policy problems. Therefore, for instance, operational research. And also, actually to implement whatever adaptive planning processes may be agreed with System 5 that affect the whole corporation. This may lead to his exercising control over the research and development function. It will certainly give him a right of access to all ascending information from the autonomic system, and that may well include responsibility for its very design. So we saw uh, before how System 4 can interact with System 2 uh, to kind of modify the models that are being used. That, that's what's being mentioned there. Um, responsibility must lie somewhere, after all, for go governing the total information system and for the command structure of the corporation. Nonetheless, our primary concern has to be with the physiological role of System 4 as the biggest switch. We understand its central place between Systems 3 and 5 at the conflux of information between the central command axis and the outside world. We know what it has to do and the kinds of techniques available to these ends, but precisely how is it to operate? For the first time in this book, we shall look beyond anything that has yet been achieved except in embryo. And again, this is written before CyberSyn was made. The real nature of System 4 has never before been exposed and therefore never organizationally consolidated. Bits and pieces of what we should now call this organizational unit certainly exist in every corporation, but because they are disseminated throughout the corporate structure under different bosses, their interactions with senior management have never been properly codified. 
The head of operational research, for example, gets along as best he may, selling his activities in an ad hoc faction. If there is a corporate planning unit, which there ought not to be, it will often be found on the end of some organizational limb, immersed in its models and horribly, excuse me, and wholly frustrated by its inability to influence the mainstream of managerial thinking. All of these units, which in terms of our model are all aspects of System 4 activity, lack a means of communication with either the board or the operations directorate which goes beyond formal committee work, the production of reports, and informal conversation. In the first context, they are suddenly an enemy seeking to interfere with what management is trying to do. As to their reports, they are not read. The third mode of interaction, the informal, is by far the most effective but it is open to all manner of accusations of a political nature. Many large organizations are well nigh in despair about these problems. Successful outcomes seem to depend exclusively on the personalities involved. Uh, so what we see is uh, there are three uh, aspects of System 4 that exist in really existing organizations. Uh, so the organizational unit uh, has um, sections in each division. Uh, you have also a corporate planning unit, uh, which is divorced from sort of operations, really, like in a meaningful sense, because that's head uh, controlled by the by the divisional heads, um, and then uh, you have informal communication, which is sort of you know obviously your after five conversations or hallway conversations or that kind of thing uh, that that go on, uh, but. None of these things in themselves is System 4. And I think probably the one that is the biggest pitfall is the corporate planning unit, right? We might mistake a corporate planning unit for System 4, but it is not System 4. Uh, it's not a whole System 4. It's just part of it. Uh, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, just just thinking, like, <laughs> reading this stuff is kind of crazy. It's like every every firm I ever worked for, I didn't see any instance of a system for, uh, you know, maybe bits and pieces. I worked in uh, the biggest bank in Ireland at the time, uh, Allied Irish Banks, and we were in a part of a, a research and development, uh, actually research section and kind of technology-wise, but also doing other kind of stuff too that would you would think, not operational research, but kind of, and, uh, you know, in the middle of the boom, what did they do? They sent in uh, the, the the guy who had set this up and who had introduced loads of, over like 30 years, introduced all the systems into the bank, essentially. They all came through the research thing and a lot of the oper way they operated had come through this division and he, he kind of retired. And then they spent about, about a year or two and then they, they hired a wrecker to come in and wreck the organization. The management didn't want to fire people, so they hired a wrecker to try and make people retire. Uh, and it's like, they just basically just shot themselves in their head. They just got rid of, like, probably 
like 25% or 30% of the firm's system for, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, corporations don't have this uh, structured. I would be very surprised if 1% of corporations have a structured property. Well, that combines very interestingly with your previous comment about labor relations, right? Because they basically lobotomize the corporation so as to kill off the labor force, you know, <laughs> because they couldn't actually do it any other way. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's quite a quite a surprising uh, suicidal impulse, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how these like suicidal impulses often come from our thoughts and the mind. And really, System 4 is like the mind, right? And, uh, yeah, I guess they just decide to act on that. And then, yeah, we'll see what happens afterwards. Woof. But that's an interesting point, that maybe a viable system is not viable in capitalism. Like, there is no such thing in, in, in the long term. Uh, it has to go through just sort of... Like, in order to be... In order to be uh, amenable to the constraints of capitalism, it somehow has to, like, destabilize itself. Um, otherwise, it will just uh, become, like, it will become uh, uh, too internally consistent. Um, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I got that far, Kyle. <laughs> well... I don't know. I mean, well, yeah. Uh... You know, like, if you think about it, like, the, you know, the, their, their environment, it's about surviving within the environment. So, like, you know, if the environment is fucked up, that doesn't mean you can't have a viable system in a fucked up environment. No, you... I guess what I mean is, like, planning a viable system in this way may not be possible in the long term because the imperatives of the market are going to impinge so much on the organism that it might not really be possible to maintain consistency there. Yeah, there are, I, yeah, I think there's, there's questions there. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess you could say it was a viable move to, to kill off the internal organization so that it could be, you know, pillaged in some kind of capitalistic way. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's pretty wild. Uh, it, it did, I'm going to say, it did go post within two years. <laughs> but, but <laughs> that wasn't the reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 I feel like uh, maybe it's related to like the falling rate of profit, just because like uh, uh, mm. you know, uh, you know when, when when things get tight, yeah, like things that are about like long term planning and you know, like yeah, you know, like like long term like long term reward and, and and stuff and looking out for long term risks. That does tend to be one of the first things that gets cut, like just because like you know it's not necessarily needed for the day to day. Yeah, I mean, it, it, maybe you could even look at sort of like hypoxia. 
you know, like uh, you, 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 uh, uh, you, you, uh, uh, your, your body will try to stay, keep the things alive that are required for just like moment to moment life. And so, you know, that, that's why you're more likely to wind up, you know, some version of brain dead, but, you know, with like your heart pumping and everything, then, mm. you know, what, 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 like for something else to die first, because, yeah, like with, with, with the diminishing um, uh, um, uh, uh, resources, like, you know, you just can't sustain, you know, like having, uh, you know, a super blood and like a, a sugar hungry uh, prefrontal cortex anymore. And, you know, in a similar way, you know, like as the, you know, as the rate of profit shrinks, you, know, you can't necessarily have like these uh, uh, big, uh, um, you know, uh, you know these, uh, uh, these big planning things that, that, that are more for, you know, like long term uh, rewards. Or it might just be like one of those situations where like you're confronted with really difficult life circumstances and you just like go on a bender, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I can't deal with this. We gotta shift things around. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think like if, if bourgeois society is essentially an organism that's at war with itself, it, it'll always undermine the possibility of these kinds of things being stable, right? Um, that like I think maybe this is calling back to a, an earlier session, but I think it was Beer's remark that like a viable system does need to be con concerned for the welfare of its component organs, um, and you know in capitalism we see that maybe happening for a little while, but then the it starts to it starts to get those impulses again, right? Like it has to it has to attack its own organs to satisfy the market. So it's it's ca it's caught in a double bind between external and internal imperatives. So that even I don't know, like I mean, you, you sometimes get it where like uh, even if they wanted to, you know, keep everything stable, they can't, right? Like it's it's you got to start start uh, going after your own component parts. And I think maybe the the thing I think it was a, a Kyle brought up in the much earlier conversation was that like this is kind of the apex with like Nazism, where the the state was perfectly willing, in fact, enthusiastic to feed all of its organs into the meat grinder, um, and that. The, the regime was not in, not satisfied until Ber Berlin was in ruins. Um, that was there was an in inherently self-destructive drive to it all, uh, and the the ab like the abject disregard for human welfare, both for the enemy and for themselves, uh, ensured that it couldn't possibly last. Um, we see the same thing in bourgeois society to a, to a lesser extent, but it's there. Right? Like it'll it'll destroy its organs to satisfy some weird imperative. Well, it's, it's like you compare the British Empire to the Nazis, you know? Like, the British Empire, so much better at reproducing itself. Uh, you know, both absolutely horrific organizations, but the Nazis, you know, not viable, uh, clearly. The, 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 thousand, the thousand year Reich lasted 11 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's how viable it was. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, um, unfortunately, we're up on time here, uh, so we are going to have to do one more session to discuss this proto-Cybersyn uh, next week, um, which is a fun read and, uh, you know, should be pretty breezy chat. So uh, we will go through that, and then we'll follow up with the next chapter. Uh, so thank you for participating, everyone. Um I am quite interested to see how the section on Cybersyn design will affect our understanding of the operations of System 4 uh, and uh, also how System 5, the System 5 discussion will color that understanding. So it's going to be good to have like a recap conversation once we're done Systems 1 to 5 because uh, I feel like it's one of those things where like, you know, Minerva's Owl uh 
does not uh, take flight until dusk. Uh, <laughs> we don't really get the, the truth until we have the hole. Um, all right. Uh, so let's uh, call it there. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. It's been wonderful. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.